Hello. Thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Directors of Nursing Services, AADNS. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I have a very special guest today, Dr. Deb Bertzall, to talk about infection prevention and control. Dr. Bertzall has worked in long-term care since 1974. She started as a nurse aide and has worked as a staff nurse, nursing supervisor, interim director of healthcare services, MDS care plan coordinator, wound nurse, quality assurance coordinator, and clinical in-service coordinator. Dr. Bertzall is board certified in infection prevention and control, CIC, and ANCC certified in gerontological nursing. Dr. Bertzall has been working with the Illinois Department of Public Health from the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, working with congregate care in Illinois. She is working with APIC and APIC Consulting to update and implement long-term care trainings, as well as working on a CDC HICPAC white paper for transmission-based precautions in long-term care. She works to find evidence-based, cost-effective infection prevention strategies for long-term care. Welcome, Dr. Bertzall. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you very much for inviting me. I just want to let you guys know you're doing an incredible job. This has been such a difficult year. I have to be really careful because I start crying if I think about it too much. But you're really lucky to have AADNS and APACN as resources. So this is something that's, you know, (laughs) welcome. Thank you very much for saying that. You know, I think about everything that's happened in the last year and infection prevention has never been more important than it is right now. Infection control deficiencies are actually very common in skilled nursing facilities and they have been for years. What do you think are the barriers to facilities achieving but also maintaining compliance with this FTAG? It's a great question. I think that Part of the problem is is that for years in long-term care, infection preventionists were seen as an add-on discipline and not recognized as a distinct discipline within the long-term care continuum like they are in acute care. If you ask infection preventionists in long-term care whether they applied for the job of infection prevention or they were assigned the job of infection prevention, they all applied for the job. And that makes a big difference because it's been left to other duties as assigned for years in long-term care. I myself had a large congregate care setting and we had all sorts of stuff. Well, I think I had six or seven hats that I wore at the same time, not unlike a lot of you where infection preventionists will hear, you can do infection control. You know, you're a nurse, you can do infection control. That's sort of like having a new grad come in as your nurse assessment coordinator and expecting you not to default on your submissions. And so it's really, really important to understand that the pandemic has laid bare the deficiencies when it comes to having enough emphasis on the infection preventionist role as a standalone role and the vital need for a really, really well-functioning infection prevention and control program. You know, that's great. I think about the number of facilities, like you said, that have the infection preventionist as a duty that's assigned to someone else. 
And, you know, of course, we're waiting on regulations to see if they're going to increase the requirements centered around it. What practices have you seen that make use of standard precautions a regular habit for staff? So standard precautions being things like hand washing, gloving, use of PPE, how can we really hardwire that into our staff? The first thing I'd suggest is actually going to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC's website, and looking at the tele-ICAR. It's just T-E-L-E-I-C-A-R. It's Infection Control Assessment and Response. I worked for four years with APA Consulting doing what they call ICARs at congregate care settings we were focused on multi-drug resistant and extensively drug resistant organisms and improving practice, but it does do a really good job of showing you exactly what you need in a really good infection prevention and control program, one of which is standard precautions. The problem is, is that a lot of times it's all about risk and benefit. And when you can't have wall-mounted alcohol-based hand rub because somebody thinks that somebody's going to eat it Mm -hmm. and it's a risk and anything that's kept out of reach of children. So you can't have uh, cleaner disinfectants at the point of care, regardless of the fact that most of these newer cleaner disinfectants that come in the wipes have low to no level toxicity. And there really is only one documented case in the UK of a resident with dementia. Now, we're not talking about psych. It's a different population, but a person with dementia who actually ingested alcohol-based hand rub, that's a documented case. And it's not PEDS either. So remember that. But it's all about risk and benefit. So I come from the time when the state surveyors walked in, we'd lock up all the alcohol-based hand rub. We'd run around and take it off the top of the carts. We didn't keep the disinfectant at point of care. We kept them you know, locked in the bottom drawer of the med cart. Those are standard precautions. And if your staff does not have the ability to use PPE at the point of care, you know, to clean their hands, sanitize their hands with alcohol-based hand rub, it ain't going to happen. And so those are some of the things that COVID has really brought to the forefront, making sure that there is alcohol-based hand rub inside and outside of rooms, PPE available, the concept for PPE of having N95 with respiratory fit test programs, which is really, except for probably one or two systems, that just hasn't happened in long-term care. So I think that the more the focus is on having things available at point of care and monitoring to make sure that it is actually there at point of care and people are actually doing what they're supposed to, I think those are two of the things that could make standard precautions a regular habit. And if the facilities had a designated infection preventionist, that person could also monitor this, audit for this, and also educate, help to educate staff. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things people don't understand. The role of infection prevention is not to have nice policies and nice books with nice graphs. It's sort of the same as your nurse assessment coordinator. You want to make sure that that MDS and that care plan are a 
clear reflection of exactly what that person needs. Think about infection prevention slightly larger. It's the facility and it's the unit-based, you know, do the staff members and even the residents have what they need to maintain a safe, clean, infection-free environment. I want to talk a little bit more about the role of the infection preventionist because many stakeholders, including many resident advocacy groups, believe the answer to improving infection prevention in the nursing homes is tied to having a full-time infection preventionist. And they're very much in favor of having regulations that require a full-time person in that role. But what about the return on the investment? How might facilities benefit from a full-time infection preventionist, even if regulations do not currently require that person to work full-time? Excellent question. So look at what's happened with COVID-19 and the things that you have all of a sudden had to add to your plate. You've had to add NHSN reporting, which is only going to get bigger. It's We're sort of like where MDS 1.0 to MDS 2.0 were. Now it's NHSN, and I would be very surprised if there aren't more requirements for reporting through NHSN because it's a well-established system. Uh, acute care, long-term acute care, dialysis all report through that. Long-term care is sort of taking up the tail end of this, but I think this is going to happen. The other thing that's happened is the requirement for fit test programs. This isn't going to go away, especially when you start looking at how respiratory protection has dropped the amount of influenza in long-term care facilities and the concept that I totally missed, I'm going to fess up, that if you had a person with influenza and you were doing an aerosol generating procedure, that CPAP, BiPAP, or nebulizers, you needed a fit test N95. Those are the types of things that would fit very well within the job description of a full-time IP. CDC has come out and very clearly stated that for every 100 beds, they feel that there should be a full-time IP infection preventionist. And you don't even need the 100 beds if you are a facility that has residents that are on ventilators or an in-house dialysis. That's great information. I want to shift gears and talk about vaccinations a little bit. Uh, Many residents and staff have been vaccinated, and this is giving some fully vaccinated individuals a sense of security against getting or spreading the virus. And therefore, they may no longer be practicing social distancing, wearing masks, and washing their hands like they did prior to being vaccinated. How should leaders address this? Because we are seeing you know, vaccinated staff who are testing positive. And then, of course, we're seeing the unvaccinated staff bringing it in as well. But how should leaders address this, you know, with their staff? I think that CMS did a really nice job in their March 11th memo. And what they focus on is the core principles of infection prevention, which include vaccination, but also include all of those other things, the physical distancing, the respiratory protection, the mask use, the face coverings, all of the screening, the testing, all of those things. And I think that if you start there and really make people emphasize that those haven't gone away, I think you're going to see that that might help a bit. Also, Mm -hmm. too, 
the residents have been really great at getting vaccinated thanks to the CDC, essentially the preferred partnership program where CDC really had made a concerted effort to get people vaccinated. There's been an 86% decline in deaths related to COVID since the start of the vaccination program in the residents and an 83% decline in the staff. So that's really, really important. But right Mm -hmm. now, trying to get as many staff vaccinated as possible. And the one thing that you keep hearing as far as a theme goes is trying to get to the people who are vaccine hesitant. Is it because they're afraid of the needles? Is it because they have concerns about fertility? you know, talking to people or having people talk to them who they feel are either your experts, so either your medical director or their physician or someone else like that. Those are the types of things that I would say might be, you know, two areas that you could really work on. Because the thing that's really exciting is, yes, people are testing positive. However, it seems that they are either asymptomatic or minimal symptoms. The vaccines are doing what they're supposed to do. Right, right. I, Whenever somebody asks me about the vaccine and expresses some hesitancy because they don't know enough about the vaccine, my response is typically we do know quite a bit about COVID and we know that it is deadly and we know it causes severe illness with symptoms that can last for months, months and months. And so I want to put a plug in because I am tomorrow going to get my second vaccine and I encourage our listeners to get, thank you, to get vaccinated and do our part. And I always tell people when they ask, why are you getting vaccinated? And I say, well, I want to hug again. And this is one step closer to reaching that goal. Yes. Um, Yes. I mean, it's really important. And, and as many people as we can get vaccinated, the other thing is with the new CDC CMS reopening guidance, unfortunately, mm-hmm. if you have a resident or a staff member in one area of the building, you've got to suspend your visitation and you have to test everyone, which is fine. These make a lot of logic. But the thing is, is if you find one other case, your whole building goes back into lockdown. And that can be really challenging and very disconcerting for the leadership to address. You know, so the vaccines seem to be working. We just have to get more people on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Is there any other information or tips that you want to share with our listeners today? Um, Other than to watch the evolving science in Illinois, our director of the Illinois Department of Public Health, Dr. Ngozi Ezeke, says that we are building the plane as we fly it. And that I love that statement because seriously, watch as much as you can for any updates. Try to keep yourself involved. You know, AADNS, you've got great resources here. There are other really good resources. Stay in touch with your local health departments, your state health department, trying to all stay on the same page. That's one of the things that Illinois Department of Public Health that we've tried really hard to do is try to, as much as possible, keep things consistent and don't get pulled back down into a silo. Make sure you're out and really paying attention to what's happening in your community, what's happening with your public health department and your state health department and CDC and CMS guidance. 
That's great information, Dr. Burtzall. I appreciate you taking the time today. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aadns-ltc.org. For more updates on regulation requirements and changes, you can also follow me on Twitter at AmyS underscore AADNS and subscribe to the LTC DON chat podcast. Have you heard about the new APACN.org? Debuting on May 4th, 2021, the new APACN.org will combine the best of ANAC and AADNS into one professional association, supporting nurses and IDT professionals across the post-acute care continuum with information, analysis, resources, education, certification, and opportunities to connect with others in the field. Visit APACN.org to learn more.